This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the White Tail Lakes Podcast. We're all set up here down this creek bottom. Being Buck's been in here a bunch of times, so good chance to see it on him. Meh. Smoking. I think he just crashed, bro. <laughs> Absolute money, dude. It's 76 degrees out. We just set up 80 yards from a buck and killed him at 18 yards. Here we are. We're set up on a, this grave that's been absolute fire for the last eight days. We know a shooter went in here to bed this morning. Matt. Get it? That was at eight. That's at eight. Fucked out October 28th. Homies up for the rest of November. But absolutely incredible season. Both kills on hanging hunts, right on the beds. And just making it making it happen. Welcome to the White Tail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes. And I got a good friend on this week, Brian Douglas. Brian has been successful on bucking out on public land the last four years. Um, we dive into kind of his um, story a little bit for this year. Um, he ended up killing an older buck and then ended up killing a booner on this public land. And uh, I wanted to get him on. A lot of people are thinking about killing their next year's buck um, after season. Um, but I wanted to have him come on and kind of describe how he's been able to do this over the years and give you guys the chance to scout and act and try to get some of that historical data while we're still in season here. Um, so start thinking about that next year's deer, whether you're tagged out or you still have buck tags and you're out there hunting, um, you're still trying to get that historical data to use for next year and, uh, connect those dots and, Brian goes through a whole list of things he does to accomplish that. But 
let's get into the people who make this possible, get into the show. Um, we're going to start off with Afflictor Broadheads. So you guys have been here. We talk about Afflictor Broadheads um, for months now. I'm loving them. Um, I'm finally shooting a fixed blade that's flying very true. Um, it's a really, really tough fixed blade. Exodus did a ton of uh, um, ton of videos testing them, penetration, um, how well they hold up, um, blood trail, all kind of stuff. But um, Afflictor is a hybrid broadhead. Um, it features a patent drive key technology giving you the flight characteristics of a mechanical broadhead but are a locked fixed blade broadhead upon entrance. The fixed blade broadheads fly extremely well and they offer superior penetration and leave wound channels that leave desirable blood trails. Um, and that's the main thing that we want out of our breadheads. We want something that penetrates well and leaves a good um, blood trail. Um, and you also want something that flies true. And uh, the K2 Fix is giving me all that. I get all the benefits of a true flying mechanical out of a fixed blade head. Um, it's a smaller diameter fixed blade, so you're going to get that penetration. You're going to get that pass through. You're going to get those two blood or two holes to get that blood trail. Um, so um, if you guys are in the market for any Afflictor breadheads, you can check them out at uh, www.afflictorbreadheads.com um, and experience the Afflictor or Fleck for yourself. Um, getting into Exodus um, Outdoor Gears. Hopefully you guys were able to act on that um, Black Friday sale that they had going on there. Um, if not, um, keep saving your pennies. I'm sure that they have a sale around Christmas time, but it was not going to be that good. Uh, but I'm excited for Exodus. There's a lot of stuff coming up um, in the future for them next year. It sounds like they've been working very hard uh, behind the scenes. Um, they came out with the new MMT arrows this year. So it's exciting to see what um, Exodus is going to do and uh, how they're going to expand their company. Um, they've been chugging along for a long time, um, still back in that you know five-year no BS warranty on their trail cameras and not faulting on anybody on that. So if you guys are in the market for arrows um, or um, a new mobile cam, um, check out Exodus Outdoor Gear. They're going to hook you up with whatever you need. Um, my good bud Tony at 330archery.com. If you're in the market for a new bowstring, look him up. Um, he'll hook you up. Got about a week turnaround right now, and he'll get you back in the game. All right, well, let's get into this podcast with Brian. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. It's, uh, it's a long one like they used to be, so back to the good ones. Like I said, I got a lot of uh, content coming up. A lot of people wanted to come on the show um, when I was doing the next seven day series. And since I had that, I wanted to got, give you guys the best content and the you know most critical time of the season to be able to help you guys maybe, um, you know, effectively kill your target buck. And uh, I figured that series was the best way. And I pushed a lot of people back, but now is my opportunity to have those people on, have these conversations, and hopefully um, give you guys, um, you know, some, some, uh, some intel or some, at least some entertainment um, while deer season is continuing here and getting into the off season. So one more thing I wanted to mention before wrapping up here is towards the end of the show, Brian uh, mentions his camera mount that he invented um, and was using all season. And I also got to use this all season and uh, I absolutely love them. I think for the cost, it's a really effective, cool tool, especially for public land hunters. It eliminates a lot of the struggle. Um, and I think it's a, a a product that I see a lot of people benefiting from. So um, I did post a picture of it on my Instagram, my Facebook. So if you guys want to get a picture of it um, while you're watching the or listening to the show, you can bounce over there and, and see it. Uh, but at the end, he does dive deep into what it is, what it does, 
and then where you can find the product um, to get a little more in-depth on it. So, uh, all right, let's get into the show. All right, we got Brian Douglas on tonight. How's it going, man? What's going on, brother? Uh, not much. Like I said, just trying to get the kids to bed and uh, get a podcast knocked out with you. We've been talking about doing this and uh, for a while now, and I had the series going on, so it's uh, finally nice to have you on. Yeah, absolutely, man. I got the, the same thing going with the kids up there in bed, and I'm excited to finally talk to somebody about whitetails that uh, doesn't want me to wrap it up in, you know, five minutes. So. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel <laughs> you. But um, it's kind of cool that we couldn't make it happen uh, right when we were talking there back in October because uh, you got a lot to talk about now with the season that you had um, and uh, all the greatness that you you had out there in the deer woods this year. Uh, go ahead and get into a brief introduction about who you are and uh, kind of what you do, and then we'll get into the, the meat of the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Brian Rogers. Um, I go by Brian Douglas on Facebook. Um, so if, you know, if you're in the mobile hunting community or anything like that, you might've seen me on there, but, uh, I, uh, I grew up in central Illinois and I have hunted public since I was a little kid, uh, started off as a rabbit dog and squirrel dog for my uncles and, uh, eventually made my way into the deer woods when I was around 10. And then, uh, I started uh, bow hunting when I was around 15, uh, strictly public. Uh, we just didn't have anywhere else to go. And uh, I've been mobile hunting since then. So uh, ever since I started, I mean, we, we hung, uh, you know, regular, regular sets, but also, uh, you know, I was killing deer, stalking, climbers, uh, you know, uh, just going still hunting and stuff like that. I've killed them all. And, uh, so I really cut my teeth on public ground, uh, deer hunting and throughout the years, that's kind of, you know, become my passion is just, uh, trying to figure out how to outsmart, um, you know, mature old bucks where everybody else can go get them and see, see, uh, you know, what I can't come out of there with. So, uh, my, my day job is in sales. I'm a uh, finance manager for an auto for a kind of a big name auto dealer here in town. So, uh, the nice thing is, while even though I have long hours, whereas when I was younger, I used to farm, this is not as, uh, I should say, uh, like it gives me a little bit more leeway with my time. So, uh, when you're, when I was farming, it was kind of like if the cows got out, I had to be there or they needed fed or something like that. And so ever since I got into sales, it's really opened up uh, me being able to not be um, exhausted on my days off, you know, because, you know, uh, physical labor will really wear you down. So it kind of helps me out in the white tail world with what I do, too. So, yeah, I completely understand that. Um, we've had you on here once before, but I love having guys on like you, you, you know, you're in the you know, you're in the mobile hunting community on, you know, on the Facebook pages and stuff pretty frequently, but you're kind of under the radar, um, as just a normal guy, but you consistently kill giant public land deer over and over and over and over. Um, and I know you have an extreme process about that. And I feel like a lot of people wait until July of next year to start thinking about, okay, I need to start planning for deer hunting this year. Um, and you you already have the advantage of being bucked out, but you're already planning for next year right now. And I feel like a lot of people are missing out on planning for next year right now. Um, so that's what I wanted to have you on. I wanted to have you talk about 
your season that you had and then go into why you had that season and see, let people connect the dots from the work that you do before season is how you're able to kill these deer in season. Um, so if you want to go in just to, I know we could probably do a whole podcast on your season this year, but if you want to go just to a brief um, description of the season that you had this year with your two bucks, um, go ahead and let, let that rip. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, within a three day period, um, I ended up putting down, uh, roughly 300 inches of bone on public and it was two totally separate, um, situations and kinds of scouting that led me to that. Um, and so, well, actually probably three, if you really look at it, but, uh, I went in on the 27th of October and, uh, shot a, uh, he was broke off, so he would have he would have been right around 140, but uh, he broke uh, like 10 inches of bone off, so he was roughly 127. But I'm really not going for inches, but I kind of use that as a way to describe it for the users. Uh, I'm going for mature bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I want to shoot. I want to shoot a guy that I know has been outsmarting um, everybody on the on the public piece for a while, and that's you know that's kind of what I'm after because. Uh, as you know, with the family, uh, and with, uh, work obligations and stuff like that, we only get so much time out there. So I see a lot of these guys out there that, you know, are younger, don't have the family yet and have more time. They can go out and they can get 10, 11, 12 giant, you know, bucks kind of on the radar. And then they can try and go out there and go after them. Whereas me, I get seven days in a summer to go out and actually do my scouting. So, I have to figure out a way to make my scouting extremely efficient. Um, and then also make sure that when it goes into my hunting, it's, it's extremely efficient. So every single day matters. And that's why gear prep matters so much to me. But, um, anyway, I put that buck down. He was actually on an overlook spot. Um, and I actually drug him a hundred yards from the road down a hill to the road whenever he died. So I shot him about 120 yards from the road. Um, and then the other deer was a deer that I, uh, three days later, I ended up shooting my, my PR, my personal best. Um, and he was my first booner and it just so happened to be that he was shot off of annual data, which I've killed a couple of other really nice deer off of too. And I think that's a, that's like a severely overlooked thing in the, in the hunting world is like, uh, annual data, especially on old, old deer. Because as deer get older, they get harder and harder to kill in every way, except for that they become habitual, right? So um, he was killed within one day of the only picture that I ever had of him. Within uh, he was, I had him on October 31st of last year, or yeah, October 31st of last year. So Halloween when I was out trick or treating at 5:30, and then I killed him on October 30th. Uh, just a little bit before five in the same spot. And uh, I can go into a little bit more on why he was there and stuff like that here in a second. But, uh, you know, it just really comes down to, um, like I said, you are, you have to prioritize what's the most important to you when you're, um, when you're scouting. And, excuse me, um, sorry, my kid, my, my wife is up there. Um, but anyway, um, so two totally different forms of scouting, but, uh, both very effective. And 
I think uh, I think what's often overlooked is just your um, your overall drive and your will to make it happen too, because like both of those hunts um, offered some kind of extreme challenges um, that I think a lot of people would not go in the woods because I sat through like four hours of pouring rain to shoot the booner. And at one point it got like torrential, like the downpour was hardcore. And I don't know that a lot of people would even choose to go out in that, but I knew it was going to happen and was hoping that right as the, the rain was going to die down at like five o'clock that I was then going to have um, bucks up and checking the scrape. And then I was going to hopefully have some action, but it just so happened that during the hardest part of the rain, um, randomly the deer were moving. So it was kind of a cool experience to see big giant bucks moving through like hardcore rain. So, but yeah, that's kind of a, in a nutshell, uh, was my season. So, yeah. So in a, like you said, in a nutshell, you had a three day gap there. Um, you put down 300 inches of bone on public and this was all from knowing the area, um, and previous data. There wasn't anything where, um, you just went to a spot and, you know, kind of, said, oh, I'm going to hunt here and kill the buck. You know, this was all from your scouting over the years and understanding that property. Um, I talked to the other Brian quite a bit, um, and he's always like that. He, you just know wherever you're hunting, like the back of your hand, and know where these big bucks hide out. Um, and once you can understand a property like that, you go to another property, and stuff starts to connect a lot quicker once you understand what big deer do. Um, they do the same thing everywhere, even if it is on, you know, a little bit different property. Uh, but go ahead and get into your scouting process. So now we're recording this at the end of November here. Um, like I said, we are in season, but I feel like people listening to this um, right now, I don't want them to miss the opportunity that they have coming up, you know, that is so crucial to killing these deer. Uh, so go ahead and dive right into, to what, what makes you able to, to kill these bucks year after year? Yeah. So, um, so, uh, like, I think, I think one of the things is I'm, I'm a little bit obsessive. So, um, there's, there's like no, there's really no off switch and there's really no time off for me. Um, if I have, if I have spare time, I'm going over trail cam data, I'm, I'm map scouting, um, I'm constantly just thinking I'm, I'm gear prepping, but I'm constantly looking for that edge. Right. And like, I, I sent you in some, uh, in some texts, like, um, uh, it's, it's a weird thing to think about, but the second that I was tagged out on, uh, I, I tagged out on that booner, I was through the roof. I was ecstatic, but the next day I am looking over trail cam data. I'm, I'm map scouting. I'm looking at all my spots and I'm trying to, um, you know, already starting the prep process for next year. And so what that kind of looks like for me though, is a lot of guys, um, you know, put, I don't know how to explain this, but they, they put a lot more emphasis on like shed hunting and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, finding where deadheads are, where deer feel comfortable at all is going to help you. But once again, I have, um, you know, I have family obligations and work obligations and the amount of time that I throw at hunting is already seems like lopsided, um, compared to, uh, what, you know, what a lot of other people are able to do. So I prioritize it as late summer. Well, like midsummer, um, is when I start going out and hanging my cams 
and I will run anywhere from 30 to 40 cams, um, you know, over lots of different places. But what I do though, is I'm not just going out randomly. So I will sit there and I will break apart a 200 to 400 acre chunk, right? Something that I've either seen looks good, looks good from the map. And I will sit there, I'll draw my waypoints or I'll put my waypoints on there. And then, uh, I'll sit there and I'll just scour it from my office or from my house. And I'll just really, really try and figure out entry routes, thermals, uh, winds. Um, one of the biggest things is figuring out your access points, obviously, but you really want to look at how you think other people are going to look at that chunk, how, how other people are going to be accessing it and what it's going to do to the deer movement. So, um, at that point, after I've done that, I've set my waypoints, I will usually set out and, uh, I'll set out my cams. I'll usually put five to seven on a daily trip. So in a, any given two to 400 acre chunk, I might throw anywhere from three to seven cams up, depending on how it looks. And when I'm going in there, I'm basically, I'll go to each waypoint and, you know, it might be something different. It might be where, um, uh, a spot up against the road that I think, you know, they might get pushed to later in the season, like the first buck that I killed. So it's just, it's kind of all situational, but a lot of it revolves around pressure, um, especially on public, you know, because the first buck that I killed, I'm almost positive that him and all the does that ended up underneath me got pushed to me from other guys that were hunting in the center of this chunk. And, you know, if you want to kill big bucks on public, you got to be doing what the other guys aren't. So, you know, when I talk to people and tell them how many cameras I hang or what I do, you know, I'll be out there in 95 degree heat on a five mile hike. I'm sure you can relate to that. But when I'm, you know, when I'm out there, it sucks. There's nothing fun about it. I'm putting off other things that I could be doing that are fun. And, uh, you know, I'm putting in the work. So I'm going out there, I'm looking for, uh, you know, rubs, I'm looking for scrapes, I'm looking for bedding. And then what I'm trying to do is find where all that kind of comes together, coming out of the bedding. And I want to find good, good sign where it all kind of converges. Um, it's kind of one of my favorite things to do, kind of find an X marks the spot um, thing where a lot of your larger rubs and scrapes and stuff sign comes together out of bedding. And then I will um, set my elevated cams up and kind of a lot of the times, one of my favorite things to do is surround a bedding area with cams. I'm monitoring pressure. I'm monitoring activity. And then from there, though, a lot of the things where people get it wrong, and you guys have probably heard other guys doing this, but I've been doing it a long time, is letting them soak, only checking them if you go to hunt it, not checking them any other time. And then that way you're not really disturbing the action on the camera because a lot of guys are thinking so short term that they think, all right, I have to know what's going on in there before I go in and hunt it. Right. Uh, or, you know, like, oh man, I don't know where a good buck is this and that for me, I'm trying to build three, four five years of annual data in a spot because that's, I mean, even if it's not just a particular buck, I want to know the time of year, um, that a certain bedding area gets hot. Right. I want to know the time of year that a certain scrape gets hot. So if, if I see a spot and, you know, you'll see a lot of these spots where anywhere, just about anywhere you go and put a cam, if you do it in the beginning of November, um, you're going to get 
a good buck or two, right? Like it's almost impossible not to get a good buck or two walking through an area. But what you're really trying to do is find a concentration of like, okay, the last five days of October, this scrape lights up with big buck activity. Or, you know, man, this doe bedding area is just on fire for November 7th through, through November 12th, you know, before lockdown hits. Or it's just, you're looking for that chink in their armor um, with those cameras. And you're not going to, Rome wasn't built in the day, and you're not just going to find everything out off of one card pool going in somewhere. So uh, I hate to sound long-winded, but that's, you know, that's kind of my trail cam strategy and uh, my scouting. Like, it really, really bases around finding old historic sign, uh, especially big rubs, tall rubs, and I want to find a lot of them. Uh, one buck coming in an area bedding around some does during the rut can lay down a lot of sign. So just because you find, you know, four or five good rubs in an area does not mean that it's going to be hot. It also doesn't mean that, because a lot of people have this misconception that if you find a good spot, it's just always a good spot. And that's, that's just couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, you know, I have a spot that is really only good the first couple days of season. After that, there's so much pressure that it's not good anymore. But if I didn't run cams yearly, I might be in there all season hunting it. You know what I'm saying? Just because I see good bucks in the beginning. <laughs> so it's very, very situational on how I hunt an area, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely uh, touch it back on the trail cam. Um, like I said, a lot of this talk is going to be, you know, how to kill your buck next year. But the reason mm -hmm. I wanted to have you on right now is because what, what better time do you have right now where you're going hunting on an area or you're going into a new piece of public land, take those cams with you now. You can still yes. get the data for the next month and a half, uh, two months here to have that data for next year. So say you're going to hunt next week, or you're going to go into a pu some public that you've never been on that looks good and you're going to you know try to wing it on a buck and you find some good sign. Um you can scout that whole entire piece and feel good about understanding it and not, you don't know what's there. So you don't know what you're bumping, but you can hang those cameras now and you can leave them and then you can come back in, you know, February and get those cams and have all that data that says, okay, man, this place is really good. You know, in December for late season, uh, you know, there's this, there's a bunch of does in here. Um, you know, even if you get those does on cam now, you know that's a doe bedding for next year. So you can make Absolutely. small you can make small pieces come together. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are thinking short term, like you said, and they're not think they're not like me. I just moved cams um, today, and I hung four regular cams on a field edge, um, and I doubt I will get very few deer on them cams until into December, January, when it gets very, very cold, rugged out there. Um, and I probably won't pull those cams unless I'm out there hunting, you know, and, but I have that Intel for next year that says, okay, this is, you know, this, these bucks were alive at this point. Okay. And man, there's a lot of deer feeding in this inside corner, you know, and, and when the cold front hit in January. Um, so Absolutely. you can get that Intel now and what better time than when you're out there hunting, bouncing around these properties that you're still trying to learn 
Um, I feel like a lot of people run cams October into the November, and then they just forget about them. The batteries are dead. They're not utilizing them. But you can find those spots and mark. Wait, wait a minute. You're telling me people hunt past first shotgun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Not when they what buck the out. Yeah, not when they buck out like you do. I just, I just had to mess with you. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean, a lot of people, like I said, they they uh, get gung-ho. They start running them in September and October, you know, November. Then stuff, the batteries start dying. The cards are full. And, you know, they're not getting to these cams. And um, they get to the cam, and it died December 1st. Now they have none of that late-season data. Uh, a, a, bi- a big thing I like to do is always have um, eight AA batteries on me, uh, you know, when I go hunting because I'm going to check a cam, and you never know if it took 3,000 pictures of a leaf, right? Yeah. And so it could have ran your whole battery down, right? So I just – I always keep AA's on me when I'm hunting because you just – you. You, you want to, like you said, get as much data as you can out of the season. Like, it always kills me when, like, I don't get all my cams out to get all of the data that I want to because life, you know, happens. And, uh, and, and like, it's even kind of crazy. Like, right after I bucked out, I, I was happy. But I really, really, like, I scout so much and I have so many areas during different times that I want to hit. It's hard for me to not like go see if the, if the scouting will pay off in those areas. So as much as I love shooting big deer, I hate being bucked out. I know that sounds like counterintuitive, but like I love running the cams, like you said, and getting out there. And then it's like, you're setting a trap, but you never get to see if it works. Right. So, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. You're, you're doing all that work for this time period. You're wanting to see if that annual data is going to come together and, And then you don't have a tag to be able to go out there and do it. Uh, but like the only thing, like you said, maybe next year you don't buck out. You're still, you could be like, well, I'm done for the year. I can't really do anything, but you're still running cams. You're still collecting data for that next year grind that you know is gonna, gonna happen. All of my cams, all of my cams stay out till January or February. Uh, because yeah, I want to know, I want an, I want a blueprint of that whole year. I want to see like, seeing how many people come in there and what they're doing and which way they're going, you know, some of my cams are just literally set up to see on, on entry routes to see people coming in there. Yeah. I got uh, a couple of those too. I got one that's like 18 foot high that I haven't seen. hadn't, I got one of your mounts on and I don't yes. think anybody's seen it. And it's <laughs> literally on the, it's literally 75 yards from the parking lot, but I do get deer on it. I they do get some deer on it, but it is for, let's see how many people were hunting this side of this place. Um, and surprisingly it was less than I thought. Um, but yeah. And here's another little tidbit. Um, people underestimate, or should I say overestimate how much hunting pressure is on public just because you see seven trucks in an area does not mean that those seven guys are going to the good spots. Uh, I just, I can't stress that enough. Like I hear, I hear a lot of guys talk about finding like the public that's an hour and a half away, two hours away from a city. And I'm sure that works really well. But like my favorite thing is to go into a, to a public area that is pounded and figure out where those guys like to hunt. And those deer just avoid, they just slightly avoid them. Yeah. That, that cam that I have on public is mobile. 
and I kind of have an idea where all these guys hunt. And I know which ones ha- ride in on an e-bike. I know which ones pedal a bike. I know which ones wear Sidka. I know which one ones wear Realtree. So I get a picture of a guy on an e-bike or a picture of a guy on Realtree. I have a really good idea of where that guy is going to be and how that is going to affect me if I hunt that area off of yeah, one I- cam. And. I- 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 but the, but the thing is, is you also, when you run it on, on public, you see, like, at least for me, it was, I, it was eye opening years ago when I really started investing in putting cameras up was how few of people actually come across your cam, like go, go under it. Right. But then also how little it affects the deer, unless it's a, unless it's a high traffic. Right. Uh, because I would say like, man, like 95% of my cams might not ever see a person. Yeah, I only have a few cams that see people. Um, One thing that I noticed a lot, um, which kind of blew me away this year was on that cam, was I had people walking in, staying in for about an hour, two hours, and then walking out. They Mm -hmm. They go in at like one they go in and they'd be walking out by like three. Like they went in there, scouted around and was like, okay, this, this isn't where I want to be. And they would leave like multiple times. I had that. Um, Absolutely. I did have one guy spot my camera and like he was with another guy. They both had climbers on his back and he actually like the sequence of pictures is them walking in the front guy, picking up his hand, holding his hand up to let the back guy to stop. And then them backing out of there. <laughs> I was like, if that worked every time, that would be sweet. But it, they well, like, well, I, I almost guarantee you, because I've had, I rarely do they see my cams, but when they do, it's almost they're like looking at it like shit. Somebody else is already here because usually, if so, so here's the thing: if you have somebody in that spot, right? Because like you think about it like this: ninety percent of the guys hunting hunting public. Um, are you know going to be like overweight older uh, don't want to drag a deer from super far back um, and they're not going back to where you're going so then you have the other 10 percent of guys or five percent whatever it is you know this is made up but you know the smaller percentage of guys a very elite percentage of guys that are in shape that are mobile that are scouting the way that you are and then that are going to hunt the way that you are right so what happens is if they get back there and they see a camera they just mark it off their list too. Like we would, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, shit, somebody else is hunting here. That's going to be too much pressure for this spot. Not all the time, but like most of the time when I catch people looking at my cameras, it's almost like a God damn it. Like now I got to turn around and, and go somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I see that a lot. Sometimes there for a while, I felt like if they found one of my cams, they thought something good was in the area and they'd set up close to it. So I've had both, <laughs> um, both right. instances, I run a certain brand of camera. I run a lot of Exodus's, you know, cams, so people kind of know that. And if they see an <laughs> Exodus in the area, it's kind of like, oh, there's probably a good one in here. Um, that's why I started deploying so many dummy cams um, over the years. Um, to throw people off the trail, To throw people yeah. off because I was having people literally hang ca- stands right by my this year I went in, made a mock scrape. I took a piece of paracord and tied a branch because there wasn't one low enough and mm-hmm. uh, ran a mobile on it. And then I had another guy hang a mobile 10 yards from it and hang a stand on that mock scrape. And oh, my God. Are, little you, to him, Are you serious? I'm serious, <laughs> yeah. Little to him, that was not a very good area. Um, right. 
actually went in there. It, it could have got better in the rut, but for the time frame that I wanted to hunt there, it wasn't good. I actually went in there and pulled that cam. Um, and that's when I went in there to pull that cam, I seen the other camera and the stand and I'm like, bro, out of all this property, um, there's no other buck sign here besides this made human mock scrape that you can tell because it has a camo paracord that's tied this limb on. Um, you couldn't pick anywhere else besides right here. And it was literally because that cam was there. That's the only reason he was there. Yeah. I love it. But the, I, so I'm like, I, I got hella dummy cams out. Like I said, I have lines of them. Um, and I had a couple of them stolen last year. I'm like, a dude stole a camera with no batteries in it. That doesn't work. <laughs> like, what's he going to do? Get you, know, you know why that is. Yeah. It, here, here's my theory on it. Like, I used to think people were thieves, like, just stealing it to sell them or to use them. But I would bet, like, the farm that, like, almost every time somebody steals a cam, it's because they're mad you're in an area or they're jealous of your success. They either yeah. know it's you or they're mad that you're in their area. Well, you I know. hate when people steal SD cards. I'd rather the whole cam get stolen than the SD card get that just pisses me off. I had that happen three cams this year. No, you show SD up like card. a little, like a little kid at Christmas. Yeah, and you go to get in. I'm about, I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's about to be a giant on this one, and it's always deep as hell. And then you get there, and the SD card's gone, and you're like, are you shitting me? Someone had, like, it's just a super annoying. But I'm gonna step my game up next year and. Um, I've been going through a process of how I'm going to eliminate that, and I think I have a pretty good idea how I'm going to stop that from happening. Um, but we'll see see if it all comes together. But we're getting here into 30 minutes of BS and already. You sent a kind of a big list of uh, stuff that you do during the off season. We've kind of went into what you can do now, get those cams out, get that intel, do some scouting now. There's no better time to scout the sign that was put down than right now. It's going to be the freshest. You're going to be able to see it the best. Um, but let's just go ahead and kind of rip through this list um, so people can put this in their notes, maybe while they're out there hunting now or when they're scouting late season um, to prepare them for those hunts next year. You want me to just you want me to just read off down the list real quick? Yeah, I mean you can read make... you can read off and then kind of go into depth on whichever ones you want, and uh, we'll see see where it leads us. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the whole thing off and then go back to kind of key points that okay. I, that I uh, want to cover. So I already talked about building annual trail cam database, uh, you know, which is clutch. The more years you can put over uh, each other, the better. Elevated cams, I can't preach it enough. Not just for theft, but for Big bucks and deer, not avoiding your cameras. I don't care what anybody says. Big bucks know when something is not right, when something's not supposed to be there. Um, even if it, say, if it gets cold and it clicks or makes a noise, elevated cams are important, not just because I came out with an elevated cam mount, but I've been elevating cams with sticks for many years now. Um, I just wanted a better way to do it. So, uh, But I really, really, truly believe that if you can elevate it, you should, even on private ground. Uh, I think it just ups your odds of that deer not avoiding your camera and not avoiding the area. Uh, new territory scouting. Um, the the first buck that I killed this year, I had no annual uh, annual data. I had no uh, real trail cam data. I went in there based off of scouting uh, the historic sign and went in there and uh, and shot him first sit. Uh, you know. 100 yards off the road, strictly off of scouting, um, historic sign, 
more importantly, rut sign, or I mean, uh, rubs, old historic rubs. Like I can't stress enough when you find old rub lines that meet up, um, an X marks the spot of movement. You, you need to take note of that. You need to be marking that down. Uh, gear prep. Gear prep for me is an everyday thing. Okay. I, you know, there, there's different guys have different opinions on this. Some guys just grab their stuff, throw it in their pocket and go. Um, I have to have everything working efficiently, working together, working quietly. Um, it has to be quiet. It has to be uh, lightweight and it has to be smooth. You can't be up there cussing, even though in the beginning, every year, no matter what, you're going to have to knock the, the um, cobwebs off of your, uh, you know, your setup. You're going to have that cussing day. I always say you're going to have that day or two where you're like, what in the shit? How did my tether not get stuck in my whisker biscuit? Like, that's just the stupidest shit that I've ever seen. Right. But like, as you, as you have that stuff happen in those first few um, hangs, it starts to work itself out. And before you know it, um, you're, you're doing it in the dark uh, without even thinking about it. So, uh, but gear prep at home is how you get to that point. So you're not, you're not just going to go out. You're not just going to buy. So like most of my shit is not just store-bought, right? Like most of it is, um, I have to order it off of special sites. And then once I get it, I have to, uh, you know, uh, add to it. I have to, uh, uh, mod, mod, you know, modify my gear. Um, and the more effort and time you put into that, the better you're going to be. Because you do not want to be figuring it out on October 27th when there's no wind and you're trying to sneak tight to betting. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's starting to get light and your, your shit's clanking around. It's not making any sense. You're pissed off. You're sweating because it's not working together. That is the last thing you want when you're chasing big deer. Think of it as a marathon. Every you're going to be out there for more than just one day. You are going to be out there, especially on your vacation for days and days at a time for hours and hours at a time. You do not want to be thinking about it the first day you go out on your vacation. Um, focusing on entry routes. If you asked me one single piece of thing or piece of advice to give to any deer hunter, it would be entry routes. Like, if you do not get in unsmelled, unseen, unheard, you might as well not go in. Now, not during the rut. The rut, anything can happen. But for the most part, if you're going to get close to a mature buck, you're going to have to be quiet you're going to have to make sure he doesn't see you and he can't smell you. So entry route to me is king above all else. Like you could take away my cameras. You could take away my scouting uh, of like rubs. You could take everything away, but my entry route has to be bulletproof. Like that is your foundation of everything in your hunting. Okay. And along with your entry route, your wind matters, your thermals matter. Um, and you have to understand time of day, uh, wind speed, you have to understand, you know, what deer are going to be doing that would be based off of your scouting, but even then you can kind of just get an idea of where you think they're going to be at and where you think they're going to be going and what your wind, what your thermals and everything else needs to be doing. Um, understanding the human pressure element. We already kind of covered that. Um, but, uh, if you really understand like most people's, uh, you know, what most people are going to do and not do that. I mean, you, you have a huge piece of the puzzle because it's almost, it's stupid. It's, it's almost stupid sounding how easy it is to just go sit where everybody else isn't and randomly deer are going to come there. Uh, fight through the bad stuff. Um, uh, this is something that you really can't 
learn off of a podcast um, and you just kind of have to have um, intestinal fortitude. You have to have it in you that when bad stuff happens, you look at it as just a stepping stone to get to your next step, your next level. Like, okay, I got through the bad stuff. That's good. I'm one step closer to getting to the good stuff. Right. So when something doesn't go your way, you miss a deer, like it, when you finally connect and you connect enough times, you look back at all the things that didn't work out and realize that it was all leading you up to that point. Right. You learned something from that, that thing. It was a hard lesson. It sucked. You wanted to throw up, but it led you to your, you know, to your win. All your losses lead to wins. You have to remember that whenever you're going through trusting the process. Um, so I always say I'm really not that good. I just, I just have it set up to where I have a whole bunch of places where I, th that I think will work out. I throw enough spaghetti at the wall that eventually two times every season, something sticks, right? So I don't have to be good every time. I just have to be good twice a season. So when you see two big bucks, you're like, damn, that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Two times out of 20 hunts, I knew what I was doing, right? So you just have to really trust your process and just keep going through your process every single time. And eventually it leads to success. Obviously it's a little bit more in depth than that, but at, at, at its core, you are just basically trusting your scouting, trusting your gear and uh, trusting your instincts every single time, whether it's going good or not, because you're going to have those days where, you, you know, like, so in between me killing both my bucks, I had a horrible day, like nothing went right. Uh, I could go on about it. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but um, you know, in between killing two big public land bucks, I looked like a rookie um, on the one day that I went in between there. So you're never, ever going to have it all figured out. You're never going to feel uh, like you are, you know, the buck commander. You're, you're going to have those days where you, you just are humbled and that's part of it. And that's part of why we love it. So there is no dude out there who is right every time. And just remember that when you're going through the bad stuff, um, building relationships with other hunters, both on private and public. Um, on that day when nothing worked out, I, I was heading back to my truck, ran into a couple of guys, one guy that I knew from hunting in the area, another guy I didn't. Uh, one guy I'd already built a relationship with. Um, this guy I've, I've started. We share information. Um, it helps to know when guys are going in and out of there. Um, it helps to know where they hunt and, you know, giving them their space. Yes, it's public land. Yes, you can do what you want. But if if you're shooting yourself in your foot, if you're not working with those guys and you're just trying to fight them. Um, that doesn't mean you trust everything that everybody says um, and that everybody's your friend, but you have to try and make them allies and not enemies uh, because you don't want uh, your stuff getting stolen. You don't want people walking in on you. You don't want to be walking in on them. Um, you know, and, and like on that day, I ran into a guy and I said, and he was going up to an area where I run cams. And, uh, I said, Hey, have you seen this buck? Cause I was going to sit up there. Uh, and I mentioned this, uh, this gnarly, like 16 pointer that I sent a picture of to you. And he goes, Oh yeah, I found his dead head here last year, right up on top of that Hill. Well, bam, now I can mark that deer off of my list. I don't have to throw a sit up there now. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So building your relationships with people that you meet out there, um, two years ago, I was going to go hang a camera over some fresh sign, look up, somebody else already had a camera. Go back to Facebook, throw the picture of the camera up, 
dude gets a hold of me. Me and him talk all the time. We constantly exchange um, information, constantly exchange pictures, talk about different bucks in the area. And like I said, you are just shooting yourself in your foot if you think you're just going to be some lone wolf that goes out there and says, fuck everybody else, uh, you know, and, and doesn't try and work with them. So that's it's kind of like having neighbors on private. You have neighbors on public, too. And you guys all need to kind of play together and respect each other. Um, it also helps if somebody wants to help you drag out, too, or you want to help them drag out. Another thing, though, is getting to know or trying to befriend your private neighbors, if you can. Um, that helped out on the, the Booner. The Booner ran on to some private. Um, I had met the guy in Walmart a few months before. We exchanged numbers, talked about some bucks in the area. When he went over there, I called him. He was cool about letting me go over there. He didn't want it, you know, he didn't want me to make it a, uh, a habit. Uh, but at the same time, he was like, yeah, I get it. Go over there, grab it. So uh, can't stress relationships enough. Um, and then Another weird thing that I'll throw on here and people may roll their eyes at this or whatever, but, uh, I about two or three years ago started every single day taking cold showers. Um, and one thing, one big thing that that will do is help regulate, um, your, um, your stress levels and you being able to adapt to the cold, um, and being able to adapt to longer sits and stuff like that. Cause if every single day you're starting your day off, forcing your brain to go through a, um, like a very uncomfortable situation, sitting through it, getting through it, and then allowing your brain to like be relaxed in an uncomfortable situation. It really, really helps you, especially when your adrenaline's going through the roof and you have a giant buck in there, but every day you have trained yourself to go through a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, I won't spend too much time on that, but if you can look into it, there's stuff all over YouTube about it, but it's really helped me um, it just, it just really helps regulate your nervous system too. So, uh, the other, another big thing that I have on here is shooting mature bucks that are not booners. Um, a lot of guys get hung up waiting four or five. I see guys say, oh, it's been eight years since I've shot a deer. It's been five years since I shot a deer. If it had been five or six years since I'd shot a deer and I had a 175 inch buck in the pouring rain at 20 yards, and I've been at full draw for a minute and I go to shoot that deer. Who's to say I would have hit him, right? Like you have to practice being in that situation over and over and over, which is why I will shoot any good mature buck. I really, you know, I have like 135, 140 inch minimum, but if you're not shooting big bucks regularly, when that giant walks in, you are not going to be prepared to shoot him. doesn't mean people don't get lucky. doesn't mean, you know, that you can't do it but you're really helping yourself out if you've been through it 20 times before. And now it's just another day in the park. Uh, let's see here. Uh, making lists. So along with gear prep, along with um, scouting and everything else, if you're not organizing everything um, into lists, um, you're, you're kind of going all over the place. So I prioritize it in kind of three ways, family and work time and obligations, um, home projects and chores. And then the third is hunting chores and work. You have to get the first two done as much as you possibly can going into the, into the um, hunting season. Otherwise your hunting season is going to be hell because your wife is not going to be happy, right? Your kids aren't going to be happy. Your job is not going to be happy. So you have to get those first two done. And number three has to come third. Um, but they also have to get done as well. But if those first two aren't done, it really, really puts a damper on your season. Um, eliminating distractions. 
you know, going out, drinking, smoking, uh, fishing all the time when you should be scouting, uh, you know, going to barbecues and all this and that. Like, I can't tell you how many things I miss because I have to prioritize killing big bucks. Right. And so that's where a lot of people kind of get it twisted thinking that killing big bucks is just all fun. There is this whole part of consistently killing big bucks that is work and it's not fun. So the other thing is like when you have a family, you want to give them all of the good days, the good times. So let's say it's 75 degrees and sunny and perfect weather. You want to wake up at six o'clock AM whenever it's, you know, 50 some degrees out in the morning, go put in an eight hour day in the woods, get your scouting and your cams hung. And that would be perfect, but that's not how it happens. What happens is you give them the good days. So then on the 95 degree days in the middle of July or August, you're out there at 12 or one o'clock after you've dropped them off at school, after you've taken care of your house. And then you're fighting through like the shittiest, horrible part of the day to get your work done. So you just have to understand that if you, if you're listening and if killing big bus consistently on public land is important to you, it's not fun. So you got to get that shit out of your head. It's not relaxing. It's not fun. It's not a pastime. It's not fishing for bluegill. Like you have to make it like it's a very big part of it is a job. It's just a job that you love. So, and actually it's even more demanding than most than any other job I've ever had. Uh, but you really, really can't look at it as fun. You, it's enjoyable, but not fun. So staying physically fit, I think that goes without saying, if you're going to be carrying all this crap around the hills, uh, you know, you're not preparing for the first day of all day sits. You're preparing for the sixth and seventh day when you can't think straight, your whole body hurts, um, and you, you don't even know what day it is anymore. That's kind of when you're preparing your um, physical fitness. That's what you need to be aiming for is getting in such shape that it's not going to bother you on a week long hunt. Uh, along with that goes eating healthy, getting enough rest, all that stuff. It's funny. I, I put another weird thing on here. Melatonin, um, used to be cause I get so hyped up before I go on a hunt, uh, like the night before I can't sleep. So, uh, taking some kind of sleep aid that doesn't leave you groggy and kind of disconnected the next morning is huge. I started taking like 10 milligrams of melatonin the night before a, a hunt and it knocks me right out. I wake up ready to rock. So, um, if you, if you haven't looked into that and you have trouble sleeping, that that's a big one for me too. Otherwise I lay there tossing and turning till two or three in the morning. And then I've only had a couple hours sleep and you're just not thinking right when you've only had a couple hours sleep. Um, and then I kind of, you know, just want to, just want to really reiterate that passion and drive, um, are really what separate, you know, the constantly successful from the every once in a while successful. And if you don't have the passion and drive to do it, then don't expect to have the results that the guys that do have that passion and drive get. So that's kind of my, yeah, I think that's a badass list for people to, to jot through. And, um, it's, you know, it's a lot, that's a lot, but people have to think about this isn't a two month thing. This is a year round thing that you're slowly working on all these. And a lot of these are, like you said, that, you know, the elevated cams, the building annual trail camera data, the scouting, sometimes that's two, three, four years into the making before um, you kill a buck, you know, and it's not. Well, the the Booner was, was four years of annual trail cam data. So, and even more, there's even more that goes into it, but just 
four years of annual trail cam data before I finally got in there and capitalized on it. So yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh no, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It it seems like a long list of stuff that you you got to do, um, but it in the long run it's it's over a very very long period of time, and you know a lot of this stuff you know prioritizing your family, eliminating distractions, trying to stay healthy. They're not only going to help you as a hunter; they're going to help you in in life as general, and everything's going to be easy. And um, if you want to kill, you know, especially public land bucks consistently and you eliminate a lot of this other stuff you're going to have a lot more time to be able to pursue these deer and like you said that's what kills these deer is is time um and the passion to be able to to keep going out there even when you have the bad stuff happen um you just get kids got to keep ripping you know i i know a lot of guys that this year they had a tough time a couple of them they'll you know i'm selling my hunting stuff and giving up i just don't understand how a guy can do that because that's just not in my mind that I could just quit. That that, you know, that, that never crosses my mind. No. It doesn't even make it doesn't even make sense to me. No, it um, makes no sense to me either. Working class bow hunters have that uh, saying, you know, you can't kill a big buck if your wife sucks, right? But it's also up to you to make sure that your wife doesn't hate you before, during, and after hunting season, right? So, like, you can do things for your family. Um, you know, you, you just have to put in the work for them too, so that they want to see you succeed. And they want to help you, you know, um, in what your passion is. Yep. 100%. That's one thing I, I put, I did a home renovation this year and it got, I built a whole bedroom pretty much by myself, um, from the ground up and, uh, got cut into my scouting time quite a bit this year. But like you said, I was able to get out there. I can't work on the house after work cause it's raining, you know, and, uh, I can't be getting all the power tools and shit wet on the outside, so let's go hunt or let's go scout and hang cams in the rain. Or it's 95 and I can't get a guy to come help me because it's too hot, you know, to hold the rafters up or whatever. Let's uh, let's go let's go out there and scout. So that's what a lot of mine was. Um, but I had a lot of days on that edition wasted. Um, but now that's done, you know, and I knocked it out and I didn't have to do anything during season. I had it completely 100% done by the time deer season came. Um, so you can't, you can't have obligations like that. No, yeah, you can't, you You can't can't have a house half open in deer season and expect to, like you said, you might be able to go out there and, and go into a good area and have a good hunt and kill a buck, but it's, it's consistently killing year after year after year that is the hard thing. Uh, I'm on a seven year streak right now and I haven't killed yet, but I'm, I'm the drive is there. You know, it's, it's stronger than it's ever been because I haven't killed yet, but the seven years of killing, it wasn't from, you know, you can't go out and just get lucky seven years in a row. You just can't do it, especially on two to three bucks a year. Some years, um, you don't, you don't, you don't kill big bucks on public land consistently by accident it simply is not a thing that happens yeah i mean you might Um, kill a couple being good in a pinch or something or whatever but you're not going to kill um you're not going to kill repeated like that um november 5th through 12th uh, this isn't shitting on anybody's deer i've killed a lot of deer in there but november 5th through 12th we're all pretty damn good deer hunters yeah right yeah you can get into some action right like when every deer on their feet or every deer in the woods is on their feet you got a pretty good chance at seeing something you can shoot. Yeah. 
it, you really have to put in the work to figure out the, the other times, you know, that aren't those days to, uh, to make your season. Cause you can't just count on the, that you're going to kill during that. You have to every, and, and that's kind of, um, over the years, I've started to really delve into, like you said, the late season, the early season. Um, and that's where your, your annual trail cam data shines is like, okay, these deer are using this bedding area this time of year consistently. Now they're, they're coming out this way, yada, yada, yada. All right. All I have to do is figure out the best entrance route in there. Use my, wait till the wind is right. Wait till it's the right time of year sneak in there and throw a hunt at it. And if you do that 20 times in a season, like I said, you're going to be right twice. It's just, can you make the shot? Yep. 100%. I agree with you. Um, let's kind of wrap this up here and let's get into the mouth that you've made. I've been using them all year. I love them. Um, I've done a couple, uh, lives with them, uh, I think on TikTok And so, and a lot of people have loved them on that. Uh, but just go ahead and go in depth on that and then let people know, where you can find them. And then I'm kind of going to go into a little bit of what I've liked about them, um, at the end. Uh, so I kind of launched a new bit. Well, I launched a new business this year called good sit mobile. Um, uh, and it, it was, you know, they always say like, uh, you're trying to solve a problem, uh, with, with an invention or, uh, you're trying to solve, you know, I was having a problem with, um, the current, way that I was hanging mobile cams and I was looking around and I was like, there's gotta be, there has to be somebody that makes a better way. And I started looking, I'm like, there just isn't. Um, the only thing out there, if you want to hang an elevated cam is you can either use a stick, which works. And, and so when I threw this thing up on the Facebook sites, it got, a, it, there was, there was a lot of guys that liked it, but it got a lot of backlash of people saying a stick is free, a stick works, yada, yada. Absolutely does. Uh, I, I've used sticks for years. The problem is, like I said, I hang a lot of cameras a year. They're all elevated. I have seven days roughly on average in a summer to hang my cameras. I have to get 30 to 40 cams hung in a week. And I go on these five to sometimes 10, but usually three to five mile hikes uh, are what I do in a day. And like I said, it's usually 95 degrees. The mosquitoes are biting me. The itchy weed is pissing me off. My brain is feels like it's being squeezed because I'm so uh, hot and just done for by the end of the day. The last thing I want to do is be searching for a stick, getting up onto my stick, setting it, getting down checking to see if it's aimed in the right spot, getting back up, messing with the stick again, getting back down, seeing if it's in the right spot. Okay. I think it's right. I got to go back up there and make sure that it's not going to, the stick isn't going to come out. Right. So I was like, man, there just has to be a better way. This is taking too much time and too much energy because you don't realize going up and down and hanging on your lineman's belt too is you know zapping you of your energy too you don't realize going up and down is but uh when you're already sweating and exhausted like uh you know it's the last thing you want to do is get up and down a tree three times so um also a lot of the times i hang on black locust trees and i want to be up and down those one time because of the spikes so uh but anyway it's a universal trail cam mount and it's called the screw stick 
you attach it with zip ties. It's got multi, it's got a bunch of different ports. I think like 15 different ports, both on the side and on the back. It mounts to um, a whole list of trail cams and basically you can do all of your prepping at home. So rather than being out there and having to find the stick and making sure everything's right, the night before you go out, you get all of your stuff set, ready to go. You get to your spot, you see where you want to hang your camera. You go up, you wrap your paracord around. I made a little clip called the parabiner that um, is made to kind of uh, quickly attach your paracord without any metal um, and uh, without much uh, of a profile on the side of the tree. So you attach it with that, and then you have your um, screw that's attached to your mount. And this is all a 3D uh, plastic printed uh, mount. So it's not heavy. It's not shiny um, and it's above the camera. Whereas when you get your screw in mounts that aren't even public land legal, um, they are below the camera. They hang your camera out away from the tree. So your profile sticks out to people that are walking by. They, the hardware, usually some kind of shiny metal is on the bottom. So if somebody's looking up, they can see it a lot easier. And then also um, it has usually two different pivot points, sometimes one that if you get a critter on there and wants to mess with it, a lot of times they can knock it off center or they can push it around. I've had that happen multiple times back in the day when I would use those screw-in mounts on different places. So my mount has three points of contact. You have the screw, you have the bottom of the camera, and then you have the paracord, which attaches to the tree. And when you twist that um, bolt, it actually tightens it in there um, with the paracord. And then so you have a rock-solid mount you don't have a lot of daylight behind the mount, so it doesn't look like something protruding out from the tree. Uh, and you just set it, and then you pull out the uh, spot-on laser uh, leveling kit or unit that I, I made. It's another little 3D-printed uh, container. You put your uh, laser pointer in there, like a little cheap pet laser pointer is what I designed it around. And that way you can always go and just buy a new one or buy batteries for it at any place that carries them. And all you do is you pull it out, you push it up against the lens or your, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the thing that sends your sensor. You can put it up to either one of those get in, and get an exact spot uh, of where it's pointed. And you can sit there and micro adjust it with the screw. And so you go, it's called the one and done elevated tree cam system because literally you go up one time, you set it, you check where you're at, you make sure you're on, you set your camera and you get down. So the whole process takes like five minutes and then you're done. Yeah. I, when you were, you had been talking to me about it, um, there before you'd launched right before. And I was listening to you describe it and I kind of had an idea of what it was. And then you had sent me one to try or and two to try. And I got them out and actually got them on the, my cams. And I'm, I just like how simple of a process it is. Um, you're a lot of those, you know, those screw in ones that you put into the tree, they mount onto the base of the cam, like you said, in, in that screw. And if your trail cam don't have that, you know, spot to, with, with the threaded, you know, the threaded hole in it for a bolt to go in, you can't utilize it. You can utilize this on pretty much any cam. It's just, they don't you, all have, they don't all have that thread, right? No. Yeah. They don't all have that thread. A lot of cams don't have that thread and a lot of cams, 
say you have a Moultrie cam, you have to get a Moultrie. They have it threaded different um, for the, you need to get a Moultrie mount. Um, it's yep. a different uh, size than the stock, you know, the stock mounts. But I know a lot of people buy kind of where they, they get the go to Menards and they buy the two thing with a twist lock and then they level like that. But that is, uh, I've tried that before. And like I said, coons go up there. There's something about coons and trail cams. They absolutely love them. They love climbing up and sitting on top of them, messing with them. Uh, and the amount of coons that are just alive because nobody coon hunts is just insane. Or I don't every know every trail it's, cam that I have has a, has like three families of coons in at them every night. It's yeah, like, it's yeah. just like there's just so many coons anymore. It's just insane. Uh, that and bobcats. I've seen a ton more bobcats over the last few years. Um, oh, absolutely. During season, they're coming on like crazy. But uh, that's probably why the turkey population around here, all those coons and bobcats eating eggs, you know, coons eating eggs and bobcats killing them when they're young. It's just really putting a hurting on them. But uh, anyways, I liked how easy it was to use. I like how simple it was. It's very cost effective. Um and it's going to last a very long time. Like you said, they're light. They're easy. You have you mount the stuff before you go out. Um, the one thing that I really, really liked about it when I actually got out and started hanging them was, like you said, it's a lot easier to have that all mounted. You're not trying to get a stick that's perfect and angle your camera. Um, but I liked when you got it on the tree. I like to use paracord. Um, Chad from Exodus actually put me onto it because the profile is so much smaller than a strap. But a lot yep. of times when you're elevated, you're below the camera a little bit because you're trying to get it up just a little bit higher. Maybe you only got one or two sticks, and it's hard to get that paracord tight. Um, but with that system, you can give it that extra two or three turns, still have the angle you want, but really get that paracord nice and snug with that system to be able to pop it out away from the tree. Um, but that's one thing that I wasn't even thinking about uh, that solved an issue that I was having when when you put a stick behind the cam, you're, par- you're trying to guess how much slack you're going to need in your paracord for the, the size of the stick to get the angle that you want, you know? And mm-hmm. then your camera is leaning at an angle, but with this mount, the camera's flush on something. So it's not going to move or adjust either direction because it's still mounted to something that's flush and the bolt's pushing it away from the tree. With that stick, you only have that stick as contact against that tree. So the slightest side push is going to turn that camera completely sideways. And not only are you going to get, you know, I didn't know a lot about trail cameras until I became good friends with the Exodus guys. And having an angled trail camera a lot of times you're thinking, oh, it's not a big deal, but you're missing a lot of pictures because the way trail cameras work um, with the way they have the sensors on two sides and actually how they mm-hmm. pick up the pictures, that's something I didn't know for a long time. So if you got a camera out there angled to the side, you're probably not only getting bad pictures, you're missing a lot of triggers that you should be getting because the camera's leaning and it can't, it can't work the way it should you know, properly work. That, that was another. That was another big. Re- not. I hate cutting you off, no, but I ahead. have to get this point out. Is that was another like besides not having the mount that I wanted, and and you know just the stick. That was another huge thing. Was you because uh, like I would run a lot. I run a lot of SD cards uh, cams, right? Mm-hmm. And when it's hot as shit, you're not 
pulling the SD card out, checking it on your viewer, and then and then putting it back in because you're also worried about possibly um, screwing up the SD format and stuff like mm -hmm. that. You don't want to put it through too many different uh, devices. You just want to set it after you've already formatted it at your house, put it in your trail, you know, trail cam and set it. So now you are hoping that it is pointed at the correct spot. You're eyeing it. The other thing is you have to go over and stand in the spot where the deer are going to walk. Mm -hmm. And so during season, when I'm checking cameras, it's crucial. I keep the spot on laser leveling thing in my dump pouch without the strap. I just keep it just with the uh, uh, laser pointer in there um, and the little castration band. And I literally check my camera, uh, put it, you know, take the SD card out, check it, put it back in there. And then, cause you know, a lot of, when you're, ele when you're at an angle, you have to pull it out away from the tree a little bit. Well, now you have to reset it a little bit and you want to make sure that you're spot on because of the way those sensors work, like you said. And so you just quickly throw that, that laser up to the eye, see that you are in the exact spot that you want the laser or that you want the camera pointing at. And then you climb down and it was just, it was just, it's one of those things where you're like, like when you're using it, it's so quick and simple. It doesn't even seem like it matters that much, but before like you didn't have a way of guaranteeing it. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to mention as well, um, if you want to put a cam up like I have out there, that is extremely high, <clears throat> like really, really high. This mount, pitch. this mount can, can do that for you. You can angle it way down. If you turn yep. that thread all the way out, um, you're, you're going to need a beefy stick <laughs> that's going to be putting a lot of weight on your cam on top of it to get it angled that far. Um, and like I said, that one I have, uh, where I'm monitoring that pinch, it's a highly stealable cam. Like it's, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I put it extremely high and I'm like, even if it, even if I don't get pictures of deer, I'm looking to get pictures of people, you know, I'm, they're taller. Um, they're most of the time you're going to get more pictures of people on your cam than you are a deer, just because the profile of a person's a lot taller, a lot bigger than a deer lurking through there fast on a cam. Um, so yep. I'm catching guys on their e-bikes or walking in with stands on their backs. They got big profiles. Um, so I'm able to run that cam extremely high and no one's noticed it. But if I had that camera at six foot, seven foot, eight foot, 10 foot, I think someone would notice it. And would they steal it? I don't know, but then they know it's there. And right. the less, you know, I, I'm really big on, um, having really good relationships. I have some really good relationship with people I talk to on my public land that I hunt um, pretty consistently throughout the year, um, but I don't tell them everything, and they don't tell me everything. I don't expect them to, and, and this cam is something that I, <clears throat> like, I'll message the guy and say, good luck out there, and he'll be wondering, <laughs> he'll be wondering how honest. I know how he's out there, you know, and he's like, oh, are you out here today? I'm like, no, I'm not out there, you know, free range. <laughs> um, but he probably thinks I seen his truck or something, but I got a picture of him going in there, you know, and I know it's him. <laughs> so, so I'm keeping tabs on the place. Um, and I'm keeping tabs on those guys. And then any deer that get drug out through that area, I know exactly what was killed too, or have an idea that, Hey, there was a deer killed. Someone drug it out. Um, 
And it's just something that I like to do because literally everybody at some point goes through this pinch to get to the parking lot mm-hmm. uh, if they access this that side of the piece. So the people are more important than the bucks most of the time. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of times there's got to be something there that you want to kill. Um, and then if there's something there that you want to kill, you got to start thinking about who else is out here. Um, last, not only last, year, last year's buck was strictly off of, like I said, a rub line that came to an X and it was, it was 60 to 80 yards away from about four or five different tree stands. So if that doesn't tell you something, those rub lines are, are just out of reach of where the people hunt. Yep. So you really, really like you already know, but just for the viewers listening, if you don't know, if you don't go scouting and look and see, okay, this tree has climber marks in it. Okay. This Creek bed has an old strap from a hang on where somebody used to hunt right here. Okay. There's footprints leading back in here, you know, that are fresh that are scouting. You know what I mean? Like all of those things matter just so, I mean, like you really, really can't just discount anything. And when you find an area that has sign and is away from that pressure, that's the, that's why the sign is there and it has to click with you. Yep. 100%. But what I'll do is, uh, I'll make a normal color art for the podcast, but then I'll also throw a second picture up um, maybe the day after the podcast that <clears throat> that shows this mount. Um, or maybe you can do a video, a quick video that I could share just so people can see this. Because, um, like I said, I think you're a, a badass dude out there killing deer. I really like the friendship that we've created. And I also really like the product once I got it in my hands. I think it's something solid um, that's pretty cost-effective that would solve problems for a lot of people. And once you got it, you're going to have it for years and years to come. And, uh, like, but like, like I said, once on the, co- on the cost effective part, I, just so the viewers know, I run all my, when I talk about running 30 to 40 cameras, I am definitely not rich and I cannot afford to lose 80, 90, hundred dollars in the woods. And people still will steal your cams. Even if you run elevated cams, you're going to, I always count on having two to four cameras a year stolen. So I can't lose two to $400 a year. I get the cheapest cameras. I usually run alkalines unless I'm running, uh, this year I started running a couple cell cams, but I've never ran cell cams until this year. I know lithiums are important through your cold weather, but I try and save money at every angle. I, I you know, I buy the, the, uh, not the top of the line SD cards, which you don't need anyway. But my point is, is when I was looking for a mount, I was like the time that it would save me when I am out here doing it and the data that I can then get by doing more with less time, is it worth it to me to spend an extra $10 per mount, you know, per, to, to mount it instead of using a stick. And for me, it is now to the guy who's running two or three cameras a year. Um, is he going to see value in it? It is a great mount. It would work for him, but it was really born out of the idea of saving time because for me, like I said, I have seven days to get a lot of cameras out mm-hmm. and I have to save time. And that's what this mount is aimed at is saving you time on, on top of all the other things that you get out of it. Is it worth $10 to you to save 30 minutes at every site is kind of the way I looked at it. And for me, if, you know, if it came down to, was I willing to drop $300 to mount one on each one of my cameras it value too. And I hope my, my dream is to someday be walking through one of my spots and look up and see, one of my mounts that I did not hang. Uh, yeah, I think that cool. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. 
Also, what's uh, go ahead and mention your YouTube and and where the people can find you. <clears throat> also, because you do film almost all your hunts as well. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the last uh, I've killed, so I uh, I've killed uh, tagged out the last four years in a row on public, all different spots. So you can see uh, the last six bucks are on there right now, and this year's bucks, both the. Uh, both the bucks that I killed in October, including the Booner are going to be up at some point this year. Uh, I have a lot going on and, uh, it takes a lot to actually make the videos good. I could throw it out right now. Um, you know, if I wanted to in a couple days and you could see it, but I really like to put good content out there. So go to goodsitproductions.com or, uh, excuse me, goodsit productions on YouTube to check that stuff out. And it's goodsit mobile for the, uh, products. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, um, and I know you gave the listeners some some intel they can to to get out there and get ready to not only kill a buck this year, but prepare for those those hunts next year as well. And I want to leave the listeners with just uh, one thing, and that is uh, uh, when it's not working out and when it sucks, uh, you know, we all have two voices in us, and uh, there's the there's the bitch voice, and then there's the voice that gets things done, and you got to beat the bitch voice up and tell them to to stop because if you're going to kill big bucks you, every day you have to uh you have to beat that voice inside of you so the the one thing that kills big bucks beyond all else is intestinal fortitude and uh, not giving up when things get hard so 100 percent, man can't leave it any better than that all right guys well i hope you enjoyed this episode like i said the next coming weeks i've been having multiple people message me when i had the next seven day series come on wanting to come on the show, um, and I'm going to start knocking that out. And then I got a pretty cool um, series of podcasts I'm going to do around January, February. I'm a little different than something I've never done. Um, I'm always trying to think of new ways to give you guys the best content um, for tuning into the show. Like always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate the support all throughout the season. Um, I'm still out there hunting, still grinding. Um, had a pretty good encounter over Thanksgiving weekend couldn't seal the deal. Second gun season's coming up, um, and then my late season plots hopefully have an opportunity on one of those. I am probably going to go after the biggest fork and horn I've ever seen in my life here um, in the next couple of days. Um, it's a buck that I've had all year and been kind of on the fence for, and then I actually seen him in person from the road, um, and he's just a crazy, crazy-looking deer. So probably going to target that deer, old deer, and um, be fun to, to get him down. So that's the plan. And then gun season, I'm going to go back in there on uh Jojo and try to make that happen. I'm not giving up on that deer, but love you guys. Appreciate you tuning in all the way to the end. Try to do the right thing. Try to leave a legacy and white tail legacy is out until I'm coming in your ear holes next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central time.